0: Welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. We are back on another Monday with the usual trio. I'm your host, as always, Timuchin Arun, hot ass, and now also humid Chicago. And with us is the usual gang. Galley is with us back at the stadium. Galley, what's happening? Back at the stadium from Western Massachusetts. Yep, this is Galley. And also, just finished this pot of beans. Fresh with us is... Paul Bickler. Bickler, what's happening? Cuban-style beans it was tonight. Fresh from under the bridge. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Okay. Well, we got a lot to talk about, man. And honestly, I didn't even know if any of us expected this. We kind of figured, oh, the international games, Cup of Nations, whatever the hell it is. And we have someone from Arling with us. Uh, So, Welcome to Bar. And um, so, like I say, we didn't expect probably signings to be done this early. I know I did not. I was like, "Ah, oh, it's going to probably take a little bit of time. But before you know it, this guy is pretty much all but ours. So, Gally, I'm going to start with you on this one. He, in terms of money, in terms of signing, what do you make of this?
1: Well, I'd say that the three of us were completely wrong when we ended last week's show with there'll be nothing big this week. And if something is happens, it will not be anything big like Darwin Nunez signing. I think that was this stupid guy's exact comment to end last week's show. So we'll start this week's show with the Mia of I screwed up. Um, from a signing standpoint, I think it's a huge statement of intent. Uh, we've talked on the podcast prior that we thought that there was some money to be spent prior to the pandemic and that we thought that the combination of mismatches, uh, supporters not being in the crowds might have altered the plans of the, of the ownership. And I think it did. And I think they waited until there was an opportunity to sign a marquee signing at a young age that fit both the wage structure their age profile and statistically offered the upside that Jurgen Klopp really loves to find in young attacking players. I don't even like saying strikers because I think he just makes attackers goal scorers, and I think he does that by honing in on their overall like basic attributes they already have, and while also like exemplifying their skills. And I think what we're gonna see with this player is is an improvement in his overall tactical awareness, his pressing ability, because he doesn't do much of that now. I think we'll get to that a little bit. Um, But from a financial investment, I think it's exactly what the club was planning to do, whether or not they were selling a major player or not. Uh, But I think the overall financial investment was a smart one. And I think it's going to turn out to be a sound signing
0: with, is it five years on the contract or six It's six is the last I heard, right? And I think the biggest thing is, I mean, when we look at the money, so now everybody is running away with this in two ways, Paul. Like, you know, the people, especially some United fans, who we kind of like stole this deal away from in some ways, despite supposedly being, you know, rumored, allegedly being offered more money, he comes to Liverpool. And I honestly, I can see why and why he wouldn't want to go into that mess. This is a lot more promising prospect for him. Uh, in terms of the money spent on him, but you have to kind of put that money into perspective with his wages and stuff compared to, let's say, keeping money and paying him like 350000 or 400000 or whatever. What do you make of, let's start with the money aspect of it first, and then we'll kind of go back to the tactics a little bit and look a bit closer.
2: I mean, transfer fees nowadays are basically done on projection. You're basically projecting what this player is going to be valued at towards the end of the contract. And that's factored into what you're playing up front. For a 22-year-old kid who's arguably one of the best young strikers in the world on a six-year deal at roughly, what, 100000 per week in wages? That's a hell of a deal. I mean, it's going to cost Liverpool over six years just shy of 100 million pounds sterling. And, you know, Mane just got done asking for 82 a year. So, I mean, $100 million over six years versus what Mane wanted on a one-year deal? Like, on, per, on just wages? Like, I mean, it's a no-brainer. Um, I think that uh, the people who are wanting to, to, to dig up that Jurgen that Klopp quote, you know, uh, about it being wrong for football to be a place for where. Well, he was commenting on a player that, you know, basically United had, had let go for free and then was buying back for 100 million pounds from Italy at a time where um, the average transfer rate uh, was 60 percent less than it is now. You know, so it was a different era. You know, I think um, I don't know. I don't put too much stock in that other than, than just sour grapes on that. That looks I think financially it's a great deal. I think it's a great deal financially.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, anytime you make a big signing, anytime you spend this much money, there is going to be risk involved. And do you think, Ali, that, I mean, it is a big risk. And I know normally, maybe let's go back four or five years ago, when we sign a name like this, spend this much money on this, I will be very anxious and worried and just waiting for preseason to see how this ends up. But I almost feel a lot more oddly, especially for me, oddly comfortable and content and happy that this will work out just based on the track record of what we've done in the past. Is that kind of like safe assumption for most Liverpool fans that we don't, we're not afraid of a Andy Carroll or Ben a kind of an ordeal?
1: I think we're getting closer to that. I think the more comfortable you get, the more uncomfortable most Liverpool fans with a sound mind get. Um. <laughs> So I, I, do, I, do think, <clears throat> I do think that Julian Ward is putting his, a, a, a proper foot forward at a new job. I would say that right now. He's handling himself very well in this transfer market. I think the Diaz, Canate, Jota, Tiago. you know, even not seeing Carvalho yet. But you start to see this level of talent, these players that they've hit on the way that they've successfully been able to find folks that not only will fit into the tactics, but the culture of the club, I think makes me comfortable with the fact that if they were so apt to spend this much money this quickly, this has been in the works for a while. And I know in the discord channel, we were all talking about how this didn't happen last week. It didn't happen after the champions league uh, quarterfinal. This was something that had been in the works for a while. And eventually it just came to the forefront. Hey, this player may be available this summer. Similar to this player maybe going to Tottenham this winter. And then Liverpool decided it was time to make an offer for Diaz because it was a the player they wanted. And I think Darwin Nunez was on the open market. He was going to go somewhere this summer. And Liverpool recognized he was the striker for them. And I think the money honestly wasn't even as big of a deal as it was the fact that they knew he would fit into their system.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that, you know, is because we're not freaking scouts, you know, like people just look at the last year or they just pull up on Wiki and, you know, like just look at his stats and, you know, the – the hater kind of like sees the move as a lot of money spent and risk taken on a guy who had just like one breakout season. But Paul, I mean, clearly they just did not see him on TV and be like, Hey man, this guy looks good. Yeah. They like, you know, or we playing against him. They're like, man, that guy's pretty good. Let's go spend like, Mm -hmm. like drop 80 on him. Um, I mean, what do you make in terms of like the risk ratio or how worried are you in terms of it working? Uh, I think that I am maybe a little more
2: weary than a lot of people are on him, Uh, but here's what I will say. The more that I learn, and the more that I look at him as, as a player and as a person, he is a 22 year old kid who has an extremely high floor with generational type ceiling and flaws in his game that are extremely fixable. And that's what Klopp does. He takes players that have things that are wrong technically, and he fixes those. And I think when I look at him as as a whole piece of the pie, as a whole piece of the puzzle, he has everything that you can't teach. Uh, He's 6'2". He plays physical. He plays hard. He works tremendously hard. Um, He plays with almost like this sort of like – controlled anger which i really like when i watch him play um very much like diaz he has he has an incredible story behind him if you look up like um if you if you get on youtube and just type in there why your club wants darwin there's a story about his where his family and where he came from and it's just an incredible story of like humble roots and humility through um, the fact that this is a player that wanted Liverpool and said, like, once he found out that we were interested, he didn't want to even have talks. He didn't even want Mendez talking with other clubs says a lot to me. And a lot of people are going to be like, well, you're one of the best clubs in the world. Of course, he's going to want to go there." No, not of course. At 22 years old, like it takes a lot of guts to say, I'm going to go somewhere where I've got five bona fide offensive stars that like, I've got to play through to get into the lineup. At 22, that's not a natural, like that's not a normal decision for these kids all the time, and I think it, um, I think it shows it, uh, a pretty like a sense of maturity and awareness that not all players have at that age. Um, you know, his 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 manager said something that I thought was really profound and spoke volumes about him. He said um, he need he needed more than I could give him as a manager, and like I mean. I think that kind of says a lot about him as a player. Um, you know, you can talk about his first touch. You can talk about some of these, you know, he's a shoot first striker that struggles in link up play. How is that going to work for Liverpool? Like that's, that's my biggest question mark. But at the same time, when I look at the sort of things that he does have, um, I know that those are all things that like you can't teach. And, and jurgen has got a track record going all the way back to, to mine. So, Of finding these players and and basically fleshing out the rest.
0: Yeah, I think so. Let's go look at some of that. Let's look at some of the tactical stuff because I think in terms of financial, yeah, it's kind of like a big investment. But age-wise, history-wise, and kind of like with the faith in this scouting group, uh, we expect things to work out well because they kind of like you know. Kind of like earn the benefit of that. So let's come to the tactical stuff here, Gally. Mana is pretty much all but done, just figuring out, you know, how much for total, I think, at this point. And getting his... I think he actually has agreed with Bayern. It's just a matter of Bayern giving us more than like a peanuts and some other stuff if he wins and stuff like that. So he's all but gone. So that leaves you, obviously, hopefully... So with Mo on the right-hand side, Diaz, Jota, Bobby, and Unions. How how do you expect this to impact the other guys that I just named? And how soon do you think this guy will be your regular starter? I know when we talked about last week, I think we kind of like mentioned, Oh, if we're spending so much money on somebody, he will be a starter, but this is kind of like because of the age and the experience and perhaps some of the weaknesses that that kind of change how you look at it.
1: I don't think that he would start right away. Um, you know, I think it'll take a little bit, but I don't think it will be all that long because I do think that he will fit into the system. I think his play will improve playing around much better players. I mean, we we joked when we were playing Benfica that they were a bunch of retired Premier League players playing in the midfield for this squad. And he was like the point forward of a squad that didn't do much from outside of that. Um the actual creating points were not that great. So I think that had somewhat to do with his statistics, but I think that it'll be Jota through the middle if he's healthy. Uh, I do think Bobby will play in big matches as we've talked about, but I expect eventually for this front three to be Diaz, Nunez and Mo from, you know, November on, maybe from the world cup on, I would expect that to be our starting lineup as we go to the money-making
0: portion of the season. How about you, Paul? What do you expect? I mean, I guess we didn't even mention it because he's almost a bit too young and a bit so sort of an unknown, especially at this level, at the top level, I guess, even though he's, a, he's at a championship familiar with English football, but not at this level as Carvalho and how he will affect it. And obviously, you know, like some of the other guys in the squad, like Elliott and Jones and stuff. I know we had talked about it before in terms of like expecting a formation change what do you expect and who do you expect kind of like to be your starter, at least in the beginning of the season?
1: I don't
2: know. I feel like I'm starting to sound like the info world, uh, info wars of soccer, because like I'm convinced that we're moving a formation change, even though Jurgen Klopp has like been so stuck Never. in, in the same system for ages, but every player that we're linked with, every player that we look at just makes sense in a 4 2 one Even the players we have now, Firmino in a roll of a 10 helps him tremendously right now with his aging legs. Hendo in a double pivot, 4-2-3-1 helps him tremendously with his aging legs. Carvalho is a natural 10. Harvey Elliott plays better in a free room 10. Like Luis Diaz, traditional wide winger who would fit in better in a 4-2-3-1. Like, like it just, I don't know, man. Like, I feel like, it's so obvious that it's probably not true, and I'm probably just overshooting this thing here. We've already established, you know, thirty seconds into the show that we specialize in being wrong. So, like, um, I, I just for me the four two three one seems like such an obvious move, uh, but you know there are five subs this this year, so I mean we're gonna probably see a lot of stuff happen. Um, he's such an unorthodox striker, like that's the thing. I think everyone sees six two and thinks traditional target man. He plays sideline to sideline. And part of that is that Benfica played eight different formations this year throughout the year and couldn't settle on one. Um, the other part of it is he does occupy the channels. And, like, I wonder how – that's going to take Mo and Diaz some time to sort of gel and figure out with him because it's going to it's going to require those guys to interchangeably move centrally, which both players like to do anyway, so it's possible. It's just going to take some time. Um, he – it's not good in tight spaces teams that pop pack the box he's going to be i mean his numbers don't say that he's dominant in the air i mean i think that will improve with time but like he operates he's like the perfect counter-strike striker because he operates best in space when he has the space to run on the run at people with the ball okay that's where he's best at um and, and we'll see i i think i think probably right. I mean, I don't think we're spending this type of money for him not to end up starting. I think he probably will end up. I just think the thing that I worry about is our expectations because we saw Luis Diaz come on and basically carry this team the second half of the season from the moment he stepped into the side. And I can tell you right now, um, people that I know that watch Portuguese league and and know that league much better than I are, are telling me that is not going to happen with Nunes. He's not going to step in and immediately take this team to another level. Uh, but I do think that he has generational talent and could be the future of this this team for many years to come.
0: So let me add a bit more to the conspiracy theory because I agree too. I mean, you got to figure, and I think we're going to see something similar from City as well. It's odd that both teams that are obviously gunning constantly for each other in a title race added a type of player that they don't normally play with. Uh, it's the same thing with Holland with them. And when I was looking at Nunez, and you look at some of, like, the heat maps, even when he's central, he's a player that always slides towards left most of the time. And we've seen last year, Diaz likes to cut in a lot towards the center of the field. Uh, We've seen, like, Robo being in the slit there. And honestly, kind of, like, brings importance of a number 10 there because when you have more isolated on the right-hand side, which is a good thing for Mo, I think, because people are scared to death of taking Mo one-on-one. So you're always going to have, you know, one of the center backs with one eye on the left-hand side and not wanting to leave the left back alone with Mo. But also opens a lot of space in the middle for a number 10 style player, whether that's Bobby or Carvalho or, you know, even like a young player like Elliot's could go in there who can like kind of like take people on the dribble, create their own shot and stuff like that. How do you expect our, I guess, game to change, Gally? I mean, we already said we specialize on being wrong, but how would you like to be wrong today on that? Well, I, I, I think you
1: just laid it out. I mean, you, you explained how with the talent in which we have, it would make for a tactical formational shift to playing more with a 10 or playing more where you could balance that that area that Nunez is going to take up. Now, Paul has talked in the past on different podcasts about, you know, in the long run, Diaz is really the second best player we have to mow on the right. And if someday Diaz is operating on the right, then maybe tactically that allows for Nunez to take up more of that space on the left that he likes to occupy. We saw him attack it twice against us in the home leg uh, when we played them Earlier this year in the Champions League, so we know that he that he favors that side. But I, I think really what it comes down to is is Jurgen's going to do what he's always done, which is is tactically shift the players into the formations that give them the best chance to win. And I think for the first time ever, I think to Paul's point and to my point is that the talent is dictating. That he's going to have to do that, that that like he is recruiting players that fit into a different formation because I can't imagine he bought Nunez and Carvalho to play in his four three three because I don't see how they fit in his four three three. Or even the chew,
2: even the chew of anything it didn't happen right, but that's yep.
1: just like that.
2: That's a that's a four two three one. I mean, you're talking that's that. Like you're not going to sit him
0: behind that. So when you look at Nunez, uh, before we like kind of like finish on him, and I'm sure like we'll talk a lot more about him uh, on next week's podcast too, you know, what he says initially and things like that. And I, you know, like you said, Bickler, I kind of like read this story about with his brother and things like that. And honestly, that's kind of like a common theme I always see especially without international players where they come from. And they're like famous stories about, you know, like Mane, uh, Mo, uh, Bobby, uh, of like, you know, what they had to work through, kind of like what they overcame to be the players they are today. And he just kind of fits that mold, kind of like Diaz was as well. And so we'll definitely talk a lot more about him in terms of like personality as he talks to the press and things like that. But I mean, obviously, as of now, his glaring weakness is, I mean, the first touch issue, like you're saying, Bickler, in, like, tight areas and the pressing. So, Bickler, let's start with you on this one. I mean, obviously, kind of like what you said earlier, they're both things that can be improved on, and it's not, like, a natural skill. Do you find it odd that we would go after a player like that and spend that much money? Because when we signed Jota and when we signed Diaz, one of the first things that was talked about by Pep and Klopp is – how you know they some work off the ball i know it's not fair because we don't know what benfica asked of him and it was was it like asked and he was just too lazy to do it like ronaldo like or was it just not part of the gameplay but does that shock you that we kind of like spend that money on a player that doesn't have those qualities built in it didn't it didn't I wasn't surprised that he was
2: technically deficient in, in major areas in this game. What surprised me was the fact that, A, he wasn't – he was that size and he's not a traditional number nine. Um, and it surprised me that he wasn't a player that had good late up play. Because, like, those two things to me are like – like uh, Robert Frost, you've come to a fork in the road and the path diverges. You're picking one path, right? Like I feel like you're either going traditional number nine or a guy that you can plug into a false nine that has link of play and drops deep like Bobby. And he's neither of those. And that's what's surprising to me is that he's like this this sort of – he's he's a very unusual player in the way that he plays and the way that he sets up and he looks a little bit awkward out there a little bit. But um, I think that, you know – FSG is all about market vulnerability and they saw an opportunity to get a world-class talent and they saw him firsthand and obviously Klopp was big on him, And I think that Klopp is probably like rubbing his hands together. You know I mean? He loves players like this. And I think not only is it important that Klopp wanted a player like this, like a project that he can kind of develop, but I think it like, you know, I just keep going back to how impressive this kid was at a personal level to me. Like the fact that he Wanted Liverpool so bad to me. Like, if if I'm a father and I'm looking at a kid, like I want my kid to go somewhere where I know that person's going to have a vested interest in in not not only just paying him what he needs to be paid, but developing him as a professional. And I think like I think that he gets that. I think at 22, he understands that his this is his best opportunity. And he said he doesn't want to be good. He wants to be elite. And I think, like, to, to understand that this is the best opportunity and move for that, I think, just takes a certain level of
0: maturity that not all players that age have. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're biased. But even if you take your full bias out and ask anybody, I mean, the two clubs that were, like, willing to kind of fork out the money between us and United, I feel like it's a no-brainer to come to Liverpool in terms of the opportunity, in terms of... I mean, I guess we could look at United and be like, it can't get any worse kind of a deal. But at the same time, in terms of opportunity to win stuff, the environment that the team already has, the leadership it already has, the established knowing Klopp is going to be here for a couple of years, it's kind of a no-brainer. I guess to me, what goes back to Buck Bickler's thing is, you know, it's shocking that he would want to take the huge step right away And not maybe take like a middle step, Uh, like, you know, similar to a player like, you know, like Mane or somebody did, you know, go to Southampton and and then just like bounce around that way. But I mean, obviously, he has that potential that he did not even need to take that mid step. What do you make of that uh, galley in terms of like his weaknesses and, you know, do we play around something like that? And honestly, as Victor was talking and kind of like describing him, do we have a different format of Divock on our hands? Well, let's not. Hey, like it's... the way like Paul described, as he was describing it, like it's not a traditional, like a big guy up top. It's not really a winger. It's kind of like mixed in. We, I mean, the guy he's played way, here forever. Way,
2: way, way, way quicker than Divock. But yeah, is yes.
0: yeah. He's, he's much D-Bock quicker. He might actually. He's also intro. probably.
1: He's also a lot stronger. Like he's still probably stronger than Divock as well. And he's 22 years old, which automatically. And he came from South America, which means he cares and puts in more effort on a daily basis, just to basically survive. (laughs) Um, But I think one thing I'll bring up as we talk about deficiencies and and there are a lot and he's got so many areas of his game to improve. He also converted 27% of all opportunities put in front of him last year as a striker. As a 22 year old professional in Europe, he led all the top leagues in conversion rate, in the regular season and in the champions league. So use that to the final. On an, on an inferior squad, right? In As an inferior in the squad. <laughs> well, I mean, let's not let's not feed to the narrative that we didn't win <laughs> just because we didn't score. Um, I know. We all, it was, it was, we all know this, people. We know it. it low hanging fruit. We kid. It's low hanging fruit. We have fun with you. Um that goddamn Trent Arnold. <laughs> that that Trent Arnold. Um, they still think he's a blonde haired kid on some cartoon episode, but uh, no, in all seriousness, we, we look at this and I think in some ways you can, you can analyze these stats and you can see real weaknesses. But then on the other hand, you can look at some numbers that put him up against the world's most elite in the last 12 months. And he arguably was the best and it's at scoring goals. And I, I, I have mean, only been watching this sport for 35 of the 40 something years I've been on this planet, and I'm pretty sure scoring goals has been important in all of those years. So I'm going to stay with the idea that for all of his deficiencies, I do believe he is going to put the ball in the net. It might take a little time before he's the focal point or the primary force of it. And that might be a season or two even. And that would be great. But I just think it was an outstanding signing. And I think that's the one thing that when we talk about like, what does he do that makes him so unique is, is the thing you don't teach, which is score. And he's done that from Almira, from the Uruguayan league. He's literally done that at every level, the Benfica B team. He's always scored at a high percentage. And I think that's something that we've grown a little bit accustomed to being frustrated with at times. And maybe that's part of the reason the extra overlay on the signing.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's like, if you're watching us on YouTube, I mean, you can kind of see like his minutes per goal was like 76, which is lower than Comprie. I mean, pretty much in that category, he beats pretty much all the top, including Holland and Lewandowski and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it's extremely exciting to have this kid, right? I mean, that goes without saying I did not see this happening for one did not see us investing this big into a striker, but I'm extremely happy about it and it will hopefully shut up the FSG out people for at least a week or so, but let's go. Let's spend the second half of the podcast. We had a couple of questions from like followers last week. So I figured we will like kind of like touch up on those players, but before we even get to that, Bickler with Nunes on board how much will we miss Mane and then we'll kind of like take a look at a couple of players that we have still as of now on the roster and like see where they're gonna end up Mane never heard of him just kidding um I think uh you know I think
2: yeah we're gonna miss Sadio, right I mean I think I I kind of want to build a statue that front three and just remember it how it always was you know like, I don't want to remember the last half of the year where we had to play money centrally just to get anything out of him. Uh, you know, he's, the greater part of the last two and a half years, he's been out of form. And I think people like forget that. And like, I mean, you know, back to the goal thing he does, he, he scores. Right. But I mean, I think moving him centrally affected Mo. Um, I think Diaz was a lifeline this year, um, that really bailed us out in a lot of ways. Um, And I will miss money. The bottom line is like they're professionals and it's a business. And it's not always in the best interest of either party to stay together. And I think financially, it didn't make sense for us anymore. I think professionally, it didn't make sense for Sadio anymore. And, you know, if the reports are true that he was asking for 400,000 pounds a week, which I believe is true because it's not far off from what Byron is paying him. And it's not far off from what was originally reported months back. I don't think he wanted to stay to begin with. Like I think he just found a number that he knew FSG was going to say no way, thank you sir. Like I mean, How much is Kevin, too much?
0: yep, that's what yeah,
2: I like. He's like 300. Like, <laughs> no, they might bite on that. Like I don't, let's go. Let's go 400. They'll never pay that. Like I think I really do. I think that he put out a number mm-hmm. that he knew they were going to say no to because he he was just he was I think it was a com- combination of things. I think A, I think he does just really want to change I think, B, he doesn't feel great living in Mo's shadow, and that's just – I get it. And I think, you know, part of him just wanted to go to a different environment and and feel better about himself, and I understand all of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's sad because, you know, like this era, this squad that we – love obviously has to go through a transformation as they get older skills diminishing and stuff like that and we're moving the right direction getting replacements but anytime we lose these guys heck i was kind of torn over to divak leaving when i was watching his goals and stuff so i know you were bickler the most torn about divak leaving but uh so yeah i mean definitely we'll miss money um and he will be gone shortly so let's take a look at like I picked like three different players for this week. We kind of like touched up on a couple of players last week. So let's start with kind of goes with oh, wrong picture right there. Let's start with Bobby first. How do you see his role moving forward there, Gally? I know you kind of like touched up on it in like certain games. You feel like he will be there. How much of Bobby will we see this year? Because he's kind of like out of that front three. He's kind of like the forgotten one, despite he's I still feel he's the one that kind of like he's the glue that kind of keep kept it together and made sure it was functioning really well. The whole I mean, you have these two guys on size. If you had a striker in the middle that was selfish as hell, God save us. So he has been kind of like the glue that kept that front three together. But we he's rarely talked about when it comes to contracts and stuff like that. It's always been Mo and Mane. So how do you see his role like moving forward?
1: So um, I don't see him as a um, staple in the first team 11 by any means. I see him as being a big part of the squad and playing a big role, especially with five substitutes in the Premier League next season. I think that there will be matches that if 100% fit, he'll get starts in. And there'll probably be some of the bigger matches in which we struggled in this this campaign you know a couple times we played city um all the nil nil draws with chelsea that it feels like we play at for the last five seasons um you know i think there are moments for him to unlock things and change our overall formation it's different though because we really don't know what a front three of diaz bobby and mo would look like because we never really saw not a fit by any means. So, you know, I think that's interesting. We know what it's like with Mane. Um, I think he'll play more of a coaching role. I think he is the fifth or sixth attacker now, and I think his job is to help out in training and show everyone how to do things right and maybe coach Carvalho how to play the position. I just, I think he'll still play a big role you know, I'm not going to put him in the Milner level. That's not fair to Bobby. But I, but he's in the last year of his contract, and his next contract might be for one year. So he might be closer to the Milner role than he is to the old Bobby role that we remember from two years ago where he was the starter if he was fit.
0: See, I feel the opposite. I feel like we're going to be pleasantly surprised and shocked with – Uh, Bobby, who got some rest and is coming back healthy in terms of, and especially if we have that formation change, that gives him a bit more space and stuff to operate uh, behind an actual striker. And also, Bickler, I feel like the World Cup is going to play a big role, especially in the first part of the season, in terms of players trying to show themselves to earn a spot to go there, especially like somebody like Bobby, right?
2: Yeah, maybe. I just don't even want to talk about the World Cup. It's so stupid that that's happening in the middle of the year. But Anyway, um, human rights, who cares? Uh, Anyway, like, yeah, I mean, I think we'll go back to my, like, Alex Jones moment, my 4-2-3-1, and it's like, it just makes too much sense for a guy like Bobby who's got all the tread on the tires. It allows him to do what he does best in that 10-roll without, you know, losing an attacking spot to make the midfield better. Uh, I man, I'm probably firmly in the middle between you two. Like I see both sides. He's only 30. Okay. Like he's not, he's not 32, not 33. He's got, I think he's got some juice left in the tank. Um, You know, Gally makes good points about the amount of his availability this year. Like he just wasn't available. Um, So you got to wonder about the tread on the tires in that regard. Um, to Gally's point, I think it's interesting that he brought up Carvalho. I was going to bring that up because, like, I think a lot of people, when they think about Bobby, they're like, oh, he's going to help out Jota Nunes." And I do think he's more important for players like Carvalho and even Harvey Elliott because I think that is, like, that dropping into the mids and that sort of quick interplay and that link up and that vision, those are the things that those players really have. Like, Harvey Elliott and Carvalho, they have vision. They have vision. Great, uh, a vast array of creativity in their game that Bobby has and can, can sort of help get the best out of while sort of teaching them what the best spaces to occupy are to spring that counter, which is really what Bobby specializes in. So, probably in the middle between you two on Bobby, but I do think that we're going to see some good moments for him still.
0: Yeah, I think because when it comes to age, I, I thought the age was a bigger issue with Monty and Mo only because. They rely on their pace. I mean, their pace is one of their biggest threats. So as that diminishes, and I think we talked about this last podcast, that's why I always picked Mo over Mane, just because his passing is better. So as the speed diminishes, he's still going to be more dangerous. I feel like with Bobby, it's his vision, it's his touch, control, and calmness on the ball that brings him. But I think the connection with Milner is if he's as durable as Milner, in terms of being able to kind of do the running and the pressing and everything that he can do moving in the Milner ages if you will in the like in the lower 30s then i think he will probably stick around and we can get a lot more out of him but if we're going to start seeing like muscle issues and constant injuries and stuff like that i would be afraid that gally might be right and we might not be able to see him as much as i know i would like to
1: I still think we're going to see a good amount of them. I just don't know that we're ever going to see him be a guy that starts a run of six out of 10 matches or plays an eight out of 10. I just don't know that that's still in his legs and in his wheelhouse. And honestly, I don't know that Klopp wants it to be because he's buying players and investing in youth and playing in a more helter skelter manner that, I don't think bodes for it. And I think, you know, he wants Bobby there. And I think Bobby will play a big role there. And, you know, maybe he figures out how to be the super impact sub that starts scoring big goals. And we and we just love it. And and, and I can see it happening or creating goals. I just think we're going to see spot starts and big performances more than we see a sustained run of play, I guess, would be my.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I think it's going to be a lot of like fitness is going to be the deciding factor throughout. So let's hope for the best over there. Well, speaking of fitness and not being available a lot or as often as we would like him to be, my favorite great opportunity guy, Ox. Bickler, let's start with you on this one. Where do you see ox moving forward are we going to be able to dump the wages and send them somewhere i know there was like a juicy rumor that i know especially got galley excited with him going uh, with some money in return for bowen it just almost sounded too good to be true yeah, i almost thought like, like galley made that up or something in I, might have. I might have i might have uh so what do you, what do you see in his future in your crystal ball there well, I mean,
2: personally, I love Gally's fever dream. That would be amazing if we could get him over to, to West Ham and then take Bowen, some, some sort of weird-ass swap that <laughs> lives in Gally's – the deep recesses of Gally's brain. That would be amazing. Um, you know, Villa, sure. You could take – I mean, I, here's my thing. I love Ox. Don't love when he puts TikTok videos of him dancing on the stairs with socks on marble. Uh, Man, you
0: will well, never like, forgive him for that. That was like
1: five I will years never, I will never forget. Never forget. <laughs> well, he, hadn't played, he hadn't played in 11 months, and he's dancing on marble with, like, two reconstructed knees. Yep. yep. I've got a five-year-old
2: that does safer shit. Like, it's just – it's uh, – anyway, <laughs> like, I, uh, I love Ox. I think we talk about the injury issues. For me, it's more tactical. Like, I don't know where Ox fits in this side with how we play. And I know he's done it before, right? We had that, I mean, like, what was it, two or three seasons ago, he was banging him in for midfield. Like, I know he had that year. I just, I look at him in this side. The last time we played him in midfield, he had one of the worst performances of his entire career versus Norwich. Um, and he was yanked at halftime. He doesn't have that sort of physicality to play up top. Like and we just are so deep up top that he can't even get minutes up there. I know, like we we played around with him centrally in like this weird false nine for a while um, towards the end of the season. And, and like, like I look at the side, I'm like, where is he? Like, where if I was a manager, where would I plug him in? Where I felt safe in this system with the players we have? And it's like, like the only thing I can think is like maybe in a weird situation, right back. But, like that's, like, that's, like, it. Like, I mean, that's, I know that's, like, a far left field, like, crazy thing to think. But, like, I just don't see how he fits in tactically anymore. He's on wages that are higher than Nunes is coming in. Like, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and I'm sure for him, like, he wants to be playing ball, man. He
0: needs to be somewhere where it less, at least has a shot at playing. I just don't see it here anymore. So let me play devil's advocate to that, Gally. And couldn't you just say – Uh, like he could do or play the same role as we're trying to almost find and which these are players that I want to talk about. Some of these players that I want to talk about next week's podcast and some of the younger kids like Elliot and Jones and stuff. I mean that those guys can do where we kind of have a tough time finding spots for them too that fit them perfectly and kind of like not expose their weaknesses. I guess the age and the wage kind of, you know, we'd rather have Elliot at his age and wage compared to Ox, but like, What do you make of him? What do you see in his near future? Will I be able to say, great opportunity for Ox next year? That's, I guess, the <laughs> main question I want to ask here. <laughs> I think
1: you will. I just feel like it might be like it's Southampton, Newcastle, or somewhere else, West Ham. Like, that's... <laughs> that, that It'll be a great opportunity for him to see if he can get into the midfield over Masuaka or, you know, Jesse Lingard. Like, that's the thing. He he's going to compete at the next club he goes to to play. Like Paul's point's right. Like he wasn't just bad for us. It wasn't like he was a step below, but he played well when he got to play and he just didn't get his chances. He got run off the pitch by Norwich. I mean, he was poor at times. You know, we joke and say he could have been right back. His Arsenal career ended as a right wing back because Arsene Wenger gave up complete hope as him as a winger or a midfielder. So he basically groveled to Liverpool. And to be fair, when we signed him, we were kind of ridiculed to pay what we did for him based on what he was coming off of. There was a huge upside and God knows any moment now Timuchin's going to jump in with 18 great moments and 15 people will come down telling me how he was the third leading scorer during our championship season. And he was, but then he went on and had two and a half years of absolute mediocrity where he regressed and took himself from being an England international to basically being an afterthought on a team where he wasn't being dressed for teenagers in Champions League matches with nine substitutes. Like he literally found himself that far on the outskirts here at this club. So if we get 20 million, 25 million, it will be amazing business. I would take 15 and a trip to the airport. You can send Bowen too, but I don't think it's coming. (laughs) I'll pick Listen, him up
0: I, at the same time. Save on gas.
2: <laughs> I want to get this in because I think it's important. If you're listening out there, like, please chime in. Like, I still think that if we put out a shirt that says "Big Opportunity for Ox" with Timuchin's silhouette on it, we would sell the shit out of that shirt. I would buy
1: one. I don't even know if uh, I, I want I, his silhouette. Be
2: able to say that?
1: oh, well, that's why I'm buying it. <laughs> I want, I want, I want the Discord silhouette.
2: the discord logo (laughs) might run into some copyright issues but we can figure it out sure yeah we'll
0: work
1: on that
2: hey we'll make it look turkish
0: (laughs) here's the thing and i think you know that money doesn't sound too far off only because he's english i think you know that kind of like automatically increases the price like you know 20 by 20 to 30 percent or so but and yeah, you read my mind, damn it. He was critical before he had that brutal injury. I think it was Champions League. And I don't feel bad for him because I think, you know, that was the thing. He came to play midfield. He showed he could play midfield. And he was, like I say, critical in what he did that season. And then after that injury, he just never recovered back. And yeah, I mean, I don't see... I think it goes, I was playing devil's advocate, but I, mean, I couldn't even kid myself. I mean, honestly, with those, with the age and wages, why would you leave a spot for Ox over there where you can kind of probably get the same from Elliot's or like Jones and roll the dice with that, as opposed to, you know, kind of like keep banging your head on the wall with like Ox and not to mention get those wages off, but yeah. uh, let's see what we get for him. I, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even know if we'll get anything for him and I think the biggest thing that changes the equation this year, and I keep saying it, and I know, Club, you know, I know Bickler's waiting over there to say he's only going to sub one guy in the 80th minutes and two in 89. <laughs> the whole five sub thing, I think, kind of like changes everything going into it the does, season. Uh,
1: not for Ox.
0: Not for Ox. For Ox. <laughs> Damn it! Okay, I give up. We're not saving Ox. Another guy we're probably not saving, but we're probably. Actually, getting money for is Taki. Uh, there's like a lot of different rumors out there in terms of offers, like for 13, 17, which seems to be obviously good business in terms of returns and profit. Having said that, Galley, are we kind of like you know losing a, like a valuable person to bring off the bench or start in these League Cup games, FA Cup games? who is a proven scorer. And I know some of them were against teams from like lower divisions and all that kind of stuff, but still the guy can finish or do you just take the money and run and find the next Taki?
1: Yeah. You you take the money and run and that, and this is coming from, you know, arguably one of the leading candidates of the Taki fan club who wanted him to be given more opportunities with the first team 11 to see if he, Could be a player that could make big inroads here. Um, You you bought a player from a small club in a smaller league for a low fee because you saw an opportunity at a cheap buyout at seven and a half million. And then a pandemic happens. He doesn't bet into your club. It takes 18 months literally for him to actually get to know his teammates. Um, I can see why it was hard for him. I think he did exceptional this year to have double digit goals, lead our club in the, uh, I think it was Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, both in goal scored. Did a great job, helped them win medals. If we get 17 to 19 million for him from Monaco or wherever, that is tremendous business and good for him. Monaco qualifies for the Champions League. This kid's playing Champions League football next year. You know, playing with some top players in Monaco, making a lot of money, paying no taxes.
0: Good for Taki. And I think he will do well in a less physical league. I think that's one of his biggest issues in the Premier League, actually. But so Bigler, what is, I mean, name your price for Taki to be a good deal and kind of like what Gally is saying, take the money and run and give me a price where you're like, you know what, we're better off just keeping him.
2: Um, I mean, I think you can get – like they're going to want close to 20, which is I think they'll get. I think anything north of 15 is fine. You know what I mean? I think he deserves to be playing football elsewhere. Did a good job when he – I mean, he's shades of Origi, right? He, like if he just – is just goals didn't come in as big a moments as Origi's did. But he was someone who all he did was score when he was in. And you would think, why wouldn't you want that? Well, like when was the last time you saw Taki come off the bench your start a match when he got minutes and he ran the game. He just doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't impose himself into a match. Does he score? Absolutely. He gets in good positions and he's a, he's a poacher. I mean, but he, he, he wasn't a player that you're ever going to hang on to because he has a significant impact in your squad coming off the bench or as a spot start. He just doesn't. And part of that is maybe because his frame is too small. I don't know. Uh, I think, I think, you saying that you know he would do better in a less physical league is probably spot on. I think something like the the Serie A or or the French league, which is the, the leagues that are a little bit slower,
0: more technical, he's probably going to just knock it out of the park for somebody. I think so too. I think when he first came, I mean. I think we I remember that I stuck talking back then that we kind of expected him to be more Bobby's replacement or backup in terms of like being able that link up play and stuff like that and up top. And I just don't think, yeah, like physically he could never hold up the ball like Bobby can and create space for him like Bobby can. And obviously his touch and control is not. I mean, there are not a lot of players whose touch and control is as good as Bobby. So uh, that's kind of hard to invite. More than likely, he will be leaving as well. So before we part for this week, let me ask you this, Gally. With, I mean, I know everybody's doing the math and saying, okay, we got Nunez, but we're selling this guy, this guy. So honestly, the net spend is not a lot. But you can't, you know, let go of four or five players and just buy one do you see any more additions to the front line I know you know there's talk about Ramsey they're talking about more midfielders and rumors and stuff like that but in terms of up top do you expect anybody else to come in let's be wrong again this week uh what do you? yeah expecting? I'd love to be uh, <laughs> the only the only
1: way that I see us buying another player up front is if we find an opportunity in the market <clears throat> for some form of a literally like a financial investment steal. You know, let's say Watford makes Saar available and Liverpool thinks they can sign him on a low cut price and have an option. I I think they would sign a right winger if they could. But I don't think they're going to stump up for Rafinha or Bowen or, you know, any of the big names, Canabry or any of these players that we've heard about. I just think if there was an opportunity to sign a younger pacing winger for the future, they might do it, but that would be the only way in the front three, in my opinion, because I think this team's pretty much set outside of needing right back cover and a midfielder to start.
0: How about you, Bickler?
2: Yeah, that's probably right. I, I worry, honestly, man, I worry about the right wing. It keeps me up at night because like, all of our players have some positional flexibility, and it's all center to left. Like, Jota, center to left. Nunez, center to left. For Even Firmino plays left. Like, I mean, we were starting Diaz right on the right just to get him into the lineup towards the end of the year, but, like, he never played there. Like, this is the, legitimately the first game time he had at right wing, which is insane. Um, and so, yeah, I worry about, like, what happens if something happens, God forbid something happens to Moe. Like what, like, what do you
0: think? Like, Cade Gordon. Kade is the guy that, like, arcs, that would be.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, great so opportunity. that's back to me uh, being up at night over it. Like, I mean, <laughs> like, there you go.
0: Yeah, that's – I do agree with that. I know, like, Harvey is another name that could possibly play there. I just don't know if he's a winger in this league. No especially pace. in the style we play. I don't know if he is the right winger, right. but – Uh, So we'll talk about some of those young kids next week. Uh, I figured, like, we'll tackle, like, three to four players a week and kind of, like, give our takes on that. So we'll wrap it up for this week. Thanks to all those listening. Do us a favor. Go to YouTube. Subscribe to the channel as more content is on the way. We might have to sweeten the deal and, like, maybe give some behind-the-scenes footage of, you know, Bickler eating beans from a pot before the show or something like that. T-shirt (laughs) giveaway, man. What was that? T-shirt giveaway there you go let's do this let's do this starting next week we will have the first year away for the youtube channel thanks a lot everybody and see you guys next week